You are listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Conversations about business, politics, government, education, and so much more. Now, here is your host, Ambassador Delano Lewis. Welcome to Fly on the Wall podcast. I am Ambassador Delano Lewis. Thanks for joining us. Uh, You may wonder about this name, Fly on the Wall podcast. Well, this is conversations with distinguished, successful persons, uh, and you are the fly on the wall as the listener. And today, I'm very, very excited. I have a good friend and colleague, and we've shared many experiences together in Washington, D.C. and around the world. Uh, He is Robert Bob Johnson, co-founder of Black Entertainment Television and also now chair of RLJ Companies. A very good friend. Welcome, Bob. Great to have you on Fly on the Wall. Hey, Dale. Delighted to be here and glad to hear your voice and glad to be a part of your, your podcast. Well, thank you so much. I, I, you know I have written a couple of books, and my second book is called No Condition is Permanent, and it's about my career and uh, stories about my life and experiences. And on page 28, I want to read this to you and see if it brings back memories. When I went to work for Walter Fauntroy in 1971 as his chief of staff in the United States House of Representatives, my main job was to oversee a strong and forward-thinking staff that I could rely upon to help Walter achieve his agenda. Harley Daniels was his legislative director, and Robert Bob Johnson was in charge of press and public relations. I quickly learned that Bob Johnson had a talent for envisioning and organizing the public outreach for Walter Fauntroy. Therefore, all press directions and political campaign approaches were Bob's initiatives. I found Bob to be very creative. He had good instincts about politics and was a good writer. Bob was central in helping Walter with both legislative and political strategy. Bob and I became good friends and colleagues because we both were interested in politics and the strategies behind politics. We made a good team on Walter's staff. Does that bring back memories? Yeah, Dale, you're absolutely right. That does bring a, a lot of a lot of memories. I think I, I think it brings back a, a, a lot of praise that may not be justified. <laughs> no, it's justified. I was, I was delighted to uh, to be a part of uh, Walter's team and and how I how I got there and to get to know the people that Walter had and to be a part of uh, Walter Fauntroy, who in many ways was a historic force in Washington, D.C. politics and national civil rights politics as well. So uh, there are a lot of uh, Walter Fauntroy stories I'm sure we can can talk about. (laughs) Well, this for our listeners, Bob, uh, Walter Fauntroy was the first non-voting delegate to the House of Representatives from the District of Columbia in over 100 years. And he had the highest political office uh, in Washington in, what, 1971. And he was a confidant of Dr. King, along with uh, Andy Young and Jesse Jackson. They were speechwriters, if you remember, Bob, for Dr. King. And when I came on as chief of staff, you were already there. So you might tell me how you got there, because I think you were involved in the campaign. I was working for Senator Brooks, so I wasn't on the campaign trail. Yeah, I, I got there when I when I moved to D.C. Uh, after le- leaving graduate school at, at the Woodrow Wilson School of Princeton. Mm-hmm. I came to D.C. and like everybody that comes to D.C., you're looking for a job, and if they've got 
political overtones, it, it could be better for you than than not because Washington D.C., as you know, Dell is a political town. Right. But I got to Walter's office after working for a guy named Sterling Tucker, right, who was uh, at that time head of the Washington Urban League, mm-hmm. and I worked for him. And I met a guy through Sterling uh, who was a good supporter, a contributor to Walter Fontroy. And he got to talking to me about, he said, you know, I was Sterling's press secretary, community relations person. Right. He said, you know, you'd make a good guy to work for uh, Walter Fontroy, you know. And I said, you know, he's a district delegate. And I said, you know, okay, because I was always wanting to do something in politics. And, and that's how I got introduced to uh, Walter Fauntroy and uh, became his, his press secretary back in the days when when you were a press secretary, you your job was to write everything that the congressman would say from his speeches <laughs> to his press release to the newsletter. You recall the newsletter was printed up in the uh, attic of the uh, congressional uh, offices up there on one of those machines where right. you put the ink on the uh, on the pay on the machine, and then you roll the paper through it, and you'd get out these uh, these uh, pranking letters that the, at that time Congress was paying you to send to your constituents. Right. So I did that and traveled with Walter when he'd go out around D.C. making his speeches, and he he was an amazing uh, political guy in D.C. as well as national. And I, 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 I'll never forget when I'd go to him, particularly during some of the stops, to uh, where he'd go out and talk to the senior citizens. Right. And I remember him going to one group of senior citizens at a Meals on Wheels kind of uh, place. Mm-hmm. And he would sit down and talk to them, and he would say something which I sort of used a lot. Uh, he would say, you're as young as your faith and as old as your doubt." <laughs> and, that's great and the senior citizens would love it and right. so he, he he had that way and if if you stayed long enough he, he'd break out into a song oh, he loved so to he sing he was a singer as well impossible so, no, dream that, that was a, that was a heck of an experience working with you in that office and the staff he had and uh, uh trying to uh, you know deal with walter's vision and believe me he had a vision from national to local to International. He sure did. About do you what, remember, what should be done? Do you yeah. remember? Do you remember Bob? He, I think he wrote a book about it, and you probably helped him with it. I can remember the arithmetic of power. Oh and, yeah, and, and yep. that was his view of how we were going to take over the district committee and have power from the district committee. And we, he had a whole scene about numbers to get rid of people who were not pro civil rights. And we did now, it. Dale, one of the things one of the things that I, I know you know this and, and Walter politically in terms of black electoral power mm-hmm. was somewhat ahead of his time. He was. He that was. people didn't recognize how important a concentrated black vote exactly. in certain districts could change what you said, the the arithmetic or the balance of power exactly. in those districts. Right. And he, his goal was to go in districts where he would show me these charts. I'm sure he showed you too. He, he would say, <laughs> so-and-so Republican congressperson won by only 5% of the vote. Right. Black votes represent X vote. Mm-hmm. 
and we only turned out this number. Had we turned out another 5%, so-and-so would be defeated, and we'd have another vote on the district committee. Exactly right. So he, No, he had it down to a science, the way he would lay out the numbers of his, his arithmetic of power. And uh, I remember there's particularly some guy he was going to, oh, John, John McMillan. Johnny, Johnny, McMillan. Ma- Johnny McMillan, and he called him Johnny yeah. Mac. Yeah, Johnny Mac has to go, you know, and that was his thing to go ahead and defeat him. And that's right. He, he was he was like that. I mean, he he was uh, uh, he he understood politics. Absolutely. He definitely understood the vote and the balance of vote. And I think that a lot of people never gave him the credit mm-hmm. that he deserved for his uh, understanding of how to mobilize black votes for uh, black causes. You're absolutely right. Bob, I'm going to tell you this story that, that I'm sure that it, it'll, it'll resonate with you. Walter had hired, you know, this was his first time at being elected and first time they had a non-voting delegate. So Walter had hired all of his staff first before he hired his chief of staff. <laughs> usually, you, <laughs> you, usually you would, because he had to pay off people, you know, pay off in a sense of people who work for him and campaign for him. He had promised certain jobs to certain people. So, yeah, so, yeah. so you guys were there, and he then went to look for his chief of staff. And the word I got yeah. was uh, that he was looking for an African-American uh, that understood um, Capitol Hill. Well, Bob, if yeah. you, you remember that there were only about five of us, <laughs> and yeah. I was one of those five, and I decided to put my hat in the ring. And a long story short here, he asked me, Walter— I interviewed with Walter, and before he could make a decision, he said, I want you to see three people. I want you to see <laughs> I want you to see John Heckinger. He was a strong supporter of my campaign, and yeah. he'd been on appointed city council. And I want you to see Jim Gibson. He works for Urban Coalition, and he's a great thinker and strategist. And I want you to see Marion Barry. He runs a pride organization yeah. in 14th and U. And so I had to pass muster with all three of them before I got the nod from Walter on chief of staff. <laughs> well, Dale, I, I, I have to applaud you for, 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 for taking that job because if the truth be known, the reason Walter hired all of his people before he hired the, the person in charge, he wanted all of them to always report to him. That's right. That's, that's, I didn't probably figure <laughs> he, that out. I didn't figure that out He wanted later. that loyalty to run to him, not right. to you. That's, so that's, that's that, was, that was the way Walter ran his office, is that if you said something to a staff person and they didn't like it, they had an open door to Walter. You got that right. Well, I, learned that, I learned that the hard way. I want to tell my listeners, I'm talking to a Robert Johnson, Bob Johnson, co-founder of Black Entertainment Television and now chair of RLJ Companies. And we were talking about how we met in Walter Forntraw's office, non-voting delegate to to Congress. And what is fascinating about all of this is um, Bob's career moved on from there and my career moved on from there. I left after about a year and a half and became public affairs manager for Chesapeake and Potomac Telephone Company the largest private employer in the city. And Bob left. Uh, I'm not sure about when. I think I left first. And Bob left shortly thereafter and went with um, National Cable uh, and Television Association. And that's where Bob began to learn about cable, and I began to learn about the telephone company. Am I right, Bob? Yeah, no, you're right. I, <laughs> I left uh, somewhere around, I don't want to date myself, but date you, anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but I I left before I started BET obviously right. and uh, uh, went to work as a lobbyist for the National Cable Television Association, the trade association representing the growing cable industry. I was just getting started, right? And so my job was to take all of what I learned by working with you on Capitol Hill, right? And and then working in in local district politics uh, with Marion Barry and Sterling Tucker was to uh, to represent the cable industry, and that's where I got introduced to all the guys in the cable television industry who were starting uh, cable channels and installing cable systems around the country. And that connection of being at the NCTA led to me being the founder of BET, and and that. Um, was sort of uh, part of an experience that uh, I had uh, that sort of, you know, I guess defined my career from that point on because I got to work in a trade association, but it had complete business overtones Right. because uh, everybody in the cable industry was really trying to grow their businesses. And in order to do that, they had to have a lot of uh, deregulation Okay, because I, I remember when I was leaving Walter's office, uh, Dell, uh, I, I was trying to figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know what kind of career I wanted to take. I had worked for the Urban League. I worked for Corporation for Public Broadcasting and, and of course, Walter. And so uh, I remember, again, like Walter had all of these powerful business friends. Mm-hmm. He asked me to go meet the guy who was the uh, uh, at that time the CEO of uh, Riggs Bank, and I remember going to the guy and he he uh, he said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. I've worked on the Hill. I worked in community affairs." Uh, and then I said, "I'm thinking about going to law school." Was that Joe Albert? No, no. I tell you what, it was Vince Vince, Vince Burke. Vince Burke. Yeah, gotcha. Go ahead. Hey, it was Vince Burke, and he said, you think about going to law school? I said, yeah. He, he said, Bob, uh, do you think you can think like a lawyer? I said, yeah, I, I could think like a lawyer. He said, you don't need to go to law school. Man. All you need to do is, <laughs> is hire lawyers. Right. And and that, that sort of changed my direction, and uh, I said, okay, let me find out what, what was next, and that's and that led to me being over, I was living in Southwest D.C. at the time. And I remember getting invited to this, this uh, uh, party, a cocktail party of a next-door neighbor's house. And this lady worked for the Cable Television Trade Association. Wow. And we got to talking, and she said, um, uh, what do you want to do next? And I said, you know, I don't know. Uh, she said, uh, you know what? you'd make a good lobbyist for the cable television industry. You worked on Capitol Hill. You worked in community. You worked for Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's right. I said, you know, I don't know anything about cable. She said, don't worry. I didn't know anything about it either when I got in. (laughs) She introduced me to the head of the trade association, and he hired me to be vice president of government affairs, and that introduced me to all the major players who the pioneers, if you will, who led to the creation of what we now call cable television and everything, the guys who started HBO, the guys who started Showtime, uh, the guys who started USA Network and ESPN, and all of that came as a result of uh, 
that relationship with you and Walter's office and then later into the cable television industry, which led to us rendezvousing again uh, in uh, in cable television in D.C. Yeah, I'm going to get to that one, Bob, but but you, you have just outlined it so perfectly because I want our listeners to, to hear very carefully that you had already received a bachelor's degree from uh, from what, University of Illinois, and you'd already right. had your master's from Princeton. So you had solid uh, educational skills. And then you got experience uh, in the cable business. And that began to give you the groundwork uh, for the BET uh, venture. And on my side, yeah. my side, I was a, a, a lawyer, a graduated from Washburn School of Law in Kansas and and KU undergrad, uh, University of Kansas, and I, I, I went into government service and then ended up at Walter's office with you, and then I went in the telephone company business into public affairs, and so our careers were very similar, and so I'm learning the telephone business, and you're learning the cable business. And yeah, it, it was the same, yeah, mm-hmm. because I remember uh, one, when I went to the uh, cable industry, the one thing I said to myself, you know, I, just like you, I said, I got, I got these kind of stripes in community affairs. I got these kind of stripes in, in, in politics. Mm-hmm. What I didn't have was what I call my business stripes. Exactly. And by going in and being a lobbyist for the cable television industry, representing business guys in that growing industry, that's what gave me my, what I call my business stripes and everything else. And and that's why. And then you were going along at the, the, the in the same path. Although, Dell, if you remember early on, uh, you know, cable and telco Didn't were talk. in some form of competition. <laughs> that's right. Didn't talk to each other. Didn't talk to each other. Yeah, no, we didn't talk to each other because <laughs> you guys saw us as a yeah, probably at that. You guys were so large and so big. You know, it was that mm-hmm. was when the AT and T and the Bell system was huge. You know. Everything was Ma Bell, and you guys had a monopoly over basically uh, how people communicated in, in cities. And, and so you weren't in the, vision, the uh, video business, but you were darn sure in that it's the, you controlled the poles Absolutely. that were necessary and, and to get cable lines and the wires to home. So, uh, you know, we, we, had our, we had our competition, but that was something that uh, brought, at the same time brought us together because we were both representing and explaining our industry to the same members of Congress, the same members of uh, regulators about why uh, we should have certain rights uh, that you had and you were saying how you shouldn't have these rights because we're critical to the nation. It was, it was tough, but it, 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 it was a good interaction for us because we we kept our focus on friendship and on politics. That's right. Uh, that that made a made a whole difference in what we did later on. And that's for sure. And you you, you enunciated that quite right. And then uh, you moved to to uh, uh, develop and found BET as a co-founder of Black Entertainment Television, which is the, uh, your learning and skills in the whole cable business and. I remember we stayed in touch, and you had always talked to me about joining the board of BET as you were moving. And I kept saying, right. "And I kept saying, Bob, I'm with you. I want to be supportive, but I think we may have some conflicts." And so at that time, I watched you grow, and you might tell our listeners your vision and how it began to evolve into a a fantastic uh, 
incredible business that you created. Well, well, BET was something that came out of uh, the growth of the cable television industry as a video uh, telecom industry. And uh, BET would not have existed had there not been the technology revolution of cable and satellite. And, Mm -hmm. Dell, as you know from your telco days, that uh, transmission of signals for telephone was strictly over the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. It, 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 it had to be that way because there was no way of uh, using telco wires uh, to transmit signals. And mm-hmm. the other thing on a, on a telephone pole was electricity, and you certainly weren't using electricity to transmit video and audio. So it was over the air. Well, with the growth of, of cable, where it became possible to use a coaxial cable to deliver a video and an audio signal, well, you still had to get it there, and that meant you had to have telephone poles. Right. Well, the telephone company, you guys had a monopoly on the poles. Right. And we had to pay rent, believe it or not, to get on the pole with our wires. <laughs> and you guys didn't do anything to make that go faster. Right. And, and so, so we were at your mercy. And so slowly but surely, we began to lobby Congress to get what we used to call a legislation called poll access legislation. Mm-hmm. If you remember that fight, I sure do. That sort of it sort of required telco companies to give us space on telephone poles, mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of the growth of cable into people's homes. And then later on, you know, with the launch of satellites, then you could beam a signal uh, all around the country, and then it would be fed down to a technology system called a head-in, and then those wires would run through cable television lines on telephone poles into the home. So the industry grew uh, basically out of a technology revolution, and once the ability to transmit signals became national, then programming became national, and mm-hmm. and BET was part of that growth of CNN, MTV, and the like, and ESPN, and that's that's how I I got my sort of uh, opportunity, if you will. Uh, I happened to meet. I was on the uh, I was a lobbyist, and happened to meet a gentleman by the name of John Malone, who is today one of the most powerful guys in business. And telco telecom business uh, with Every, a company called Liberty Media. Yeah, everybody knew John and, Malone. Uh, yeah, and I remember going to John about the BET, and, uh, and there's a story I tell all the time when I go out and speak to uh, to groups about how I got started. So I went to John, and he asked me, he said, Bob, how much do you need to start this thing called BET to give you know African American programming to cable subscribers? I said, John, I need half a million dollars. <laughs> and he said, okay, Bob, and this all took about 30 minutes back in those days to get a deal done right? because everybody was pioneers growing the industry. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Bob. I'm going to buy 20% of a company for 180 and I'm going to loan you 320. Mm-hmm. That'll be your $500,000. But I got 20%. You'll be 80%. Fantastic. And he said, Bob, is that a deal? I said, John, that's a deal. What John didn't know, if he'd reversed the numbers and said, I'll be eight and you'll be 20, I would have said, John, that's, that's a deal. A deal. 
So that was the start of BET, and from that point on, the business grew, and John and I made a lot of money off of BET. Uh, we would we took the company public, and BET became the first African American company publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Exchange. And then we took it private. And you you remember being a part of that when you were on the board when we did the uh, the Viacom deal and uh, the acquisition and the uh, you know. It was it was an amazing experience, and I I really, you know, when I look back on it, it was it was something that uh, you're in the right place at the right time with the right people, and you know, opportunities happen. But you were a real pioneer, a courageous pioneer with a vision, and you started it. And I remember that uh, I think you started BET, and you only had about two hours worth of programming <laughs> a yeah. week, and then you kept pushing, and as I said, went public and the first African-American company on New York Stock Exchange. And then I did join the board uh, after I went to NPR. I became president of National Public Radio, and I said, I don't have the telephone uh, c- conflict, and uh, you invited me to the board. And uh, as you recall, I helped you through a committee of one to uh, take your business private, to take the company private. And, yeah, uh, you- that was you fantastic. Did tell, but you but you don't want to forget. You don't forget the other way you were instrumental in uh, my success in the com- communications industry. When uh, I I put together a group of local investors and and John Malone again, right, to get the cable franchise in D.C. Well, you just you just let in Bob to page one thirty of my book. Uh, no condition <laughs> is permanent. I say. While I was in my position in CMP Telephone Company, Bob called on me at my office to discuss a project he was pursuing outside of BET. He was organizing a group to bid for the contract to build a new cable system for the District of Columbia. He continued and said, I'd like to have you along with the telephone company as my partner on this bid. And at that time, telephone companies weren't talking to cable companies. but But you and I forged that partnership. And... and and we won. <laughs> yeah, you know, that 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 was something that was so unique that uh, two African American business guys who had sort of grown up through their own uh, you know uh, history of beginning in life, right? Uh, you got their education where they got it, got opportunities in business and in politics where they got it, shared a vision about what. African Americans who were successful could do if we could learn to work with each other. That's right. Uh, to benefit ourselves, our families, and the businesses that we operated in, and not be looking at each thing as as competitive uh, when we would come together. That was unique at the time. It really was. And so when I when I called you to talk to you about you know basically doing something revolutionary, because we were asking you to carry our cable lines on, through your conduit. Right, right. And that was something that hurt. I imagine when you went to your uh, your superiors <laughs> at the company to say, I got this innovative idea with a cable television company, they say, are you crazy? Absolutely. You know, let me t- doing let me- something like this, that was, that was unique. It was historic. No question, Bob, but you had the vision. You sat down in my office, you called me first, and then you came to the office, and you said, I want you as a partner are you Delano Del Lewis as a partner because I want your political skill and then I want your company because you know every right away, you know everything underground, 
you guys do things uh, with a budget on time and you know, you know how to make money. And so he said, I want you as a partner. And, and then I had to go to my bosses and they said, cable company. And what they did was uh, on the inside, we structured it uh, doing a phase per each. We structured, we structured in phases so that uh, we got our return fairly early on and we, we cut the deal and we made it work. But it was a cable company working with a uh, telephone company, and it was absolutely unique in history. Well, we always we also had to do, Dale, if you recall, we had to do some was some, some uh, I'd call uh, legal kind of jujitsu, <laughs> so so that there was a clear understanding of who controlled the wires That's because right. you guys weren't willing to give up the wires. Right, exactly. So if the, if it was in your conduit, it was your wires. Right. So, and, and we wanted to be able to argue that we were delivering cable television, but we couldn't argue that we were doing it if we didn't have control of access to the wire. So we had to come up with this, this definition of almost like something like a condominium <laughs> where, where it was, Politically, it was legally, it was a telephone company had the wire, but legally and politically to the to the city council, we controlled the content that went through the wire. Right, and so you had an ownership piece there. And when we went right. to the council, if you recall, they were treating it like legislation. And we had yeah. to go through Betty Ann Kane's committee, councilwoman's committee, and you had to have the committee to come out and endorse it then it would go to the full council and then to the mayor. And if you recall... Yeah, no, yeah. And, and you it rec- was that way because, yeah, because you guys had to be tr- looked at separately because you right. were a utility. Exactly. So you had to be treated like a utility, so you had to get your part solved first right. before you can even talk about the cable combination part. Exactly. And then when, yeah, we got to, it, when we got to committee, there were three groups vying for cable vision for D.C., and one of them was Percy Sutton's group out of New York, and he was the borough president of New York. Very strong group. And that was the group, if you recall, Bob, that Betty Ann Committee signed off on. We lost in committee. Yeah. And, and then you and I uh, had to marshal our forces, and we used every political skill we knew about, and we turned it around before the full council. And, yeah. and, we, won, yeah. and we won the bid. Yeah, no, it, it was it was fascinating, and again, I, I remember the the stories that that came about about uh, you and me uh, being you know victorious in this and showing off our political skills right. and bringing all the the ward votes together when nobody thought it was, we thought we were going to lose because Percy said was a very powerful figure not only he in was, New York but nationally he was he and was. and we had that talk about then uh, I do remember sometime of doing about that time people were thinking about you running for mayor you know, well, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to talk about I, that I, one <laughs> yeah that, that, I remember that that yeah, was people true say Dale Lewis you ought to run for mayor you should that, but that was that was a, that, like I said that was a historic adventure, uh, you know. It and and I it, it it brought me not only involved in BET but also involved in the owning the cable franchise in the city as well. Absolutely, Bob. We have spent a lot of time uh, for my listeners. Um, what I'd like to do, Bob, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Why don't we have another episode? Uh, I'd love to uh, continue this. We need to talk about. What happens when you sold uh, to Viacom and 
you went on to RLJ companies and the kinds of things that you're doing uh, through through your second chapter. And then I also want to talk about our involvement in uh, D.C. politics because the two of us continued our relationship uh, and worked uh, when Marion Barry was elected, and we did a lot of things together uh, for the good of the city uh, in his early terms. And so there are a lot of things that we shared that I'd like to continue. Uh, would you? Yeah, no, I, I believe me. You can count on that. I mean, you, we've got uh, stories that you you can tell about your ambassadorship to uh, South Africa and how that came about and the work you did over there, and as well as National Public Radio, the politics of uh, of the Congressional Black Caucus and and uh, President Bill Clinton, and and a lot a lot of things that are. Uh, pretty much unique, so I, that's why I say keep keep writing those books because I like that idea that no about no this, condition no permanent no, no condition, condition is permanent <laughs> right no condition is permanent but I will I, uh, and, go ahead Bob no and I I say that uh, you know I hope the, uh, the people who are listening to the podcast will tune in again when we get back together and uh, and not only not only with me I I think you're going to be able to reach out to a a lot of uh, what I'd call history makers in terms of their own accomplishment and what they can do. And it'll be fascinating stories that need to be told. And if uh, people can, can be that fly on the wall and, and hear stories that they wouldn't otherwise hear through your podcast, uh, it should be a, a great listening post for everybody who, who want to hear some compelling uh, stories. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Uh, it is fly on the wall podcast and, I do want to get back with you because we need to talk about our board, uh, uh, our corporate boards, because you served on a number of boards. Thanks to you, uh, I was recommended by you on the Eastman Kodak board, and I served there, and I served on a number of corporate boards. And again, we have a lot in common that we have done and shared, and we need to share that with our listeners because there is a, there is a system here. There is a process here, and you and I have managed to do that fairly successfully. So... There's a lot to talk about, and I will take you up on that offer to come back. Yep, count on it, count on it. You, you, you know, after we've been around long enough to know that you got you, you got to go through Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> well, she I, will, she will make it happen because I, that's one. That's one of the success I think we've had is we both had the good fortune of having very talented people work with us, and nothing right. happens without having people who are part of your team and who share in your vision and are willing to work just as hard, if not harder than you to help you achieve that. And so I'm looking forward to the next session. Well, thank you so much, Bob. You've been listening to Fly on the Wall podcast with Bob Johnson, co-founder of BET and chair of RLJ Companies, a good friend and colleague. Bob, it was terrific. Look forward to the next time. You got it. Take care, Dale. Okay, buddy. Thanks. You have been listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast. For more information about this episode and previous episodes, plus great merchandise and more, please visit our website at flyonthewallpodcast.com today.